So I have a, a handout <clears throat> uh, being uh, distributed right now. Uh, we have come to the end of our study on characters of the Bible, and there was one we missed. Anybody know who it was? Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. And uh, what a glaring omission. But we decided to reserve, um, you know, after talking about all of the scoundrels and uh, some of the men and women of faith too, we decided to pay special attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our goal is, in the, uh, starting in a couple of weeks, to begin a study in the book of Luke. So if you want to read ahead, that would be a good thing. So we thought we would, first of all, today, do a, a survey of the New Testament. So I hope to have your attention all afternoon. <laughs> Next week, Lord willing, we plan to take a closer look, narrow it down a little bit to the Gospels, and then the following week we'll begin our study in the uh, Gospel of Luke. Now, there is a mistake I see on my handout. Revelation should really be a separate category um, it's under letters, but uh, I ran out of room. So it really is the apocalypse or, or prophetic scripture, uh, we could say. That doesn't mean that there isn't prophetic passages in other, other books, but that one is primarily um, prophetic. So in, we have in our Bibles, you know this will be very basic, two books, two major portions. They are the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are 27 books. I've listed them here for you, and they're broken down into several categories. The Gospels, there are four of them. The book of Acts, which is a historical book. Then the letters of Paul or Peter or James um, to either churches or individuals. And then the book of Revelation, which is the, uh, the book of the future. Before we start... I want to see if you can finish a famous Benjamin Franklin quote. In this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Okay? So we're going to leave the subject of taxes to the IRS, but we will talk a little bit today about death. Over the past few weeks, uh, even months, uh, the subject of death actually has come up repeatedly in conversations I've had with uh, some of the believers. Some uh, are mourning the loss of loved ones. Some are uh, recognizing their own mortality. Some realize they need to update their last will and testament. Even I went out and bought a computer program to fill out the forms and do the same. And as my generation ages, we begin to think about death. We begin to think about what we will leave behind. This year has been an interesting year. I've actually met uh, or re-met, if that's the right way of saying it, reacquainted myself with a number of old friends. And I emphasize the old part because my recognition of, or remembrance of them was, you know, maybe back in high school or within the last decade, and, and I've met them, and my immediate impression has been, wow, have they ever aged. <laughs> I don't say that out loud, you know. There are inside words, and there are outside words, and I try to keep those words inside. <laughs> so, of course, I haven't changed a bit. 
then I take a look in the mirror and I see the snow-capped dome and I see my own wrinkles and the sunspots and all those things that were for old people. And the only way I can see them now is through my progressive lenses. <laughs> I don't know if you know about progressive lenses, but they're really bifocals on steroids, you know. And I'm sure that my friends, after having met me, go back to their homes and wives and say, wow, has he ever aged? And it's true. I feel aches and pains and stiff joints that I never felt before. Slow recovery times when I injure myself. And I see that I am marching quickly to the grave. I started that march the day I was born. And it hasn't, the pace hasn't really changed but I just recognize it more today. There is a poem that Krista and I enjoy, and when we feel old and decaying at times, we often quote a line or two of this poem to each other, and this, I'll just read a part of it. It says this, Should you go first and I remain, one thing I'd have you do, walk slowly down that long, long path, for soon I'll follow you. At some point in our lives, most, or most people write out their last will and testament. And this is a legal document that makes your wishes known. It's not for you. It's for those who are left behind, family members, friends, organizations, who will benefit from your death. And at some point after you die, the document will be opened up and it will be read. A last will and testament is a legal document that allows you to control who will inherit your fortune, your property, or whatever it is that you leave behind. And it often names an, an executor to carry out your wishes. A will or a testament spells out uh, what the property is, uh, who gets the possessions or how the money will be distributed. And sometimes it even includes a statement forgiving all loans, debts, or obligations. So sometimes there's actually forgiveness in the, uh, in the last will and testament as well. Another interesting thing about a last will and testament is that uh, a person who is named in the will can either accept or reject what is left to them. They don't have to accept it. It's not a requirement to accept it. But the one thing that a person who is named in the will cannot do is they cannot alter the terms. That is set. They cannot alter the terms of the last will and testament. So as I said, in our hands we have the Bible. It is made up of two testaments. Uh, you could call them wills and testaments if you like. But two, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament reveals God's will and testament. In it, we read how God gave his righteous law, so he gave something in it. He gave his law to the children of Israel, to his people, Israel. Now remember, the law cannot be altered. It's something that God has established. And when the law was given to Israel, Israel had a choice. They could either accept it or they could reject it. But they could not alter the terms of the law. 
In Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, it reads this. Remember, the law was um, given at Mount Sinai. And it says, Then he took the book of the covenant, that is the Old Testament, and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant, or testament, or will, if you like, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So they had the choice, and they accepted the terms. They were bound, therefore, to the terms of the covenant. Now, there was nothing wrong with what God gave them. There's nothing wrong with the law. It was God's gift to them. And they accepted the gift, but they could not alter the terms. And because they could not alter the terms, they could not fulfill the law either. In our hands, we also have the New Testament. And the New Testament reveals the same holy God. It reveals the same righteous law that cannot be altered. But it reveals something else to us that we did not see in the Old Testament. It reveals the impeccable Son of God, who is holy harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He fulfills the righteous demands or requirements of the law by shedding his own blood, the blood of the new covenant. And the terms of this testament can also be accepted or rejected. What are the terms? That whoever believes in him, the Lord Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God leaves for us. That's amazing. Believe in Him and all is yours. When a person accepts the terms of the Testament, God gives to that sinner the righteousness of Christ and much, 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 much more. We're going to look at a little bit of that this morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever been named in someone's will or not, But if you have, you were probably given a copy of the document, of the will. And when you read it, I'm sure you were interested to see the names that were listed there and what was left to them. But you come across your name. And you may read the will as you're going through. If it's a long will, you may read through it with the burning question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You say, well, that's terrible. No, it's not. The person who left the will left something for you. They wanted you to know about it. They wanted to give it to you. What's in it for me? Well, I hope that by the end of this morning, as we leave here, that you will have that same attitude about the New Testament. What's in it for me? Because there's a lot in it for you. You have been named in God's last will and testament. And I'd like to read to you this morning the New Testament. I'd like to read the whole thing to you, but we don't have the time today. Because you're named in it, and there's a lot in it for you. Years ago, my grandmother invited me to her home, and she said, we sat down for a cup of tea, and she said, Don, she said, what of mine, what, what, what possession that I have would you like to have? She says, you know I'm dying soon. I'm an old lady, and I'm going to die. What would you like of mine? I said, Grandma, I don't want anything of yours. I said, there's nothing that you have that I want. Now, she had a lot of very nice things. 
She had been, she was fairly well off and she had her husband, my grandfather, had taken very good care of her. So she had a lot of possessions. I said, Grandma, there's not a thing that you have that I want. And she says, well, you know, I've invited all of my children up here and I've asked them that question. And my children have already said that they want this and they want that, they want the other. She told me all the things that each one had uh, requested. And she says, I've asked all 16 of my grandchildren. She says, you're the last one. And she said, all of them have asked for something. And she says, I've marked down what they want and I have it all set aside for them. And so again, the question was posed, Don, she said, what do you want? I said, Grandma, I have what I want. I have you. I said, I don't need your stuff. I said, the greatest gift that I have is you. I don't need your things. Well, my grandmother was a little bit of a a card, and um, she was a a bit of a character. And I figured that she probably had something up her sleeve anyway. But when I told her, I don't want anything of yours, and she said, you know, I thought you would say that. So um, I said, Grandma... Before I leave here, I said, I want to just make one thing perfectly clear, because I said, I know you well enough. I said, if you plan to leave me any cash in your will, I said, every nickel of that is going to go into the work of the Lord, and I want you to have reward in heaven. I said, I've, I've had you all my life, and so I said, I'm grateful to the Lord for, what, uh, for that. So um, nothing more was said. We finished our tea, and we had a nice afternoon together. Years later, I got a call that my grandmother had passed away. Would I come up to Vancouver and take her funeral? And I did. Short time later, I received a copy of the will because I was named in it. Told you she had something up her sleeve. To each of her 16 grandchildren, she left a portion of money, of cash. And I was one of the 16 grandchildren, so I got a portion of that 16-way split of cash that she had left. Then she named me again in the will. And the second time she, after getting that one-sixteenth portion of that portion of her will, she named me again and then gave me two and a half times what she had just given individually to us as, uh, as grandchildren. And I started laughing because <laughs> I knew exactly why she had done this. And as I promised her, I took all of the money, the 16th portion and the other part of it, and I put it into the work of the Lord, just as I promised her. And my grandmother's gift, interestingly enough, you didn't know this, but actually helped finance some of the early gospel efforts of this assembly. Some of the family members cried, foul, no, this can't be. They wanted to change the terms of the, of the will. You can't do that. Favoritism, preferential treatment. And other cries that uh, came up here. They didn't know the conversation that I'd had with my grandmother, and I didn't make them any the wiser. They kept their money, and I invested it in the work of the Lord, and she will get the reward for that. You have been named in God's New Testament, and unbelievers may cry, foul, favoritism, preferential treatment, or any other number of things. But the fact is that the benefits of this last will and testament are for all who believe. God is impartial. He is without partiality. So today, let's do a survey of the New Testament as a last will and testament to answer the question, what's in it for me? And in our survey, you'll find that God has done the same thing for you. 
Okay, so we've said already that there are 27 books written by eight or nine authors, depending on whether Hebrews was written by Paul or another. The first four books are Gospels, and we're going to look at those in more detail next week. And they are really the study of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great study all by itself. The book of Acts follows. It's the history of the early church. And then we have 21 letters to either churches or individuals. And then finally, the uh, book of Revelation. The, the New Testament was written over a period of about 50 to 55 years, somewhere from about 45 A.D. up to about 100 A.D. So the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. If you have a pen, you might want to write some of these things down because this is the reading of the will. And you want to know what's yours, okay? So here, and and, and we don't have time today to look at it all. We could spend just today looking at Matthew's gospel, and we would would spend the rest of the hour doing that. But I'm just taking selective uh, portions from each book. Um, Matthew presents Jesus as a king, and he is a benevolent king. He is a king of kings and lord of lords. And in this gospel, he promises many things to his uh, people. One is Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And here's the promise. And I will give you rest. That's a promise. Okay? That's part of your inheritance. Are you weak? And heavy laden, burdened by life, he will give you rest. Do you not know him yet? Then you're really burdened by sin. But even to you, he will give you rest if you trust him as your Lord and Savior. My yoke is easy, he says. My burden is light. You can accept his offer or you can reject his offer. He says, come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, So he's saying, look, you come to me. That's your responsibility. So if we come, he's promised to do his part, which is, I will give you rest. You can reject it and say, well, I just as soon carry the burdens myself. Thank you very much, Lord. I just as soon be uh, burdened and, and go through life, you know, bowed down. You can do that if you want to. It's perfectly within your rights. It's not what he wants for you. It's not what he left you. He gave you, he will give you rest. You come. He provides rest. Matthew 25, 21. The Lord promises reward for faithful service. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. That's part of your inheritance. And you serve the Lord and you're faithful in the least. He gives you much. That's what he's promising here. Matthew 28:18 through 20, a promise of his presence in our service. Jesus spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. You know, one of the problems with um, a will is that a person who wrote that will cannot say that. They could not say, I will be with you always. Well, no, they can't. We wouldn't be reading the will if you were. Okay? But Jesus can and is, even to the end of the age. And as you go out to the farmer's market or you speak to friends at work 
or at, on campus, and you appeal to men and women to believe the gospel, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not need to be afraid. You're not alone. He promises here, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark. Mark is the gospel of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ as a servant. Are you a servant of the Lord this morning? Well, here's what he's promised to leave you. A promise of fruit in evangelism is one, uh, one promise. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, you can accept or reject the words, follow me. There's only two words, follow me. You can say, no, I don't want to do that. But if you do accept the terms, he has made his promise to you that he will make you fishers of men. If you accept them, he promises souls to your account. Will you follow him? You know, there's actually a story in the Gospel of Mark that, that uh, is about two of Jesus' disciples, James and John. And as they began to think about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and I, another passage tells us that their mother was involved in the, the conversation, and uh, they wanted a pretty sizable inheritance in this kingdom. And so they came to the Lord and they said, you know, when you enter your kingdom... Let us sit on the thrones next to you, one on the right and one on the left. <laughs> now, my grandmother invited my family members to come and ask for things. You know, they, they asked for things like, you know, broken china pieces and, or chipped china dishes or, you know, furniture that had been used and abused and all that. But, I mean, these guys are just bold. You know, Lord, when it comes time to giving out the inheritance, make sure that one of us sits on your right and one of us sits on your left. Wow, that's a little bit uh, bold. And it may fit in corporate America where people are climbing up the corporate ladder all over everybody else, but it has no place in the kingdom of, of uh, heaven. Jesus said, It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Somebody has said the way up is really the way down. Humility and service are great in the kingdom of heaven. And he promises that uh, to us. In, the, in Luke's gospel, Luke is the gospel of the Son of Man. Jesus Christ, the perfect man. Um, Tom uh, gave a devotional this morning in the Lord's Supper about sheep. And uh, he talked about how the sheep are out in the hills and they're eating and that the shepherd has put a fence around them to protect them. And uh, sometimes it feels in life like we're a defenseless flock, you know, uh, troubles come our way, trials come into our life, and it feels like we're troubled on every side sometimes. And yet, if you are like that, Jesus says this, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <laughs> I want to say something to you this morning, that even if you were the son of someone like Bill Gates... And if 
he were your father and left you everything he has, it doesn't compare to what Jesus Christ has left us. doesn't compare. You may have all the wealth, all of the riches, all of the... Uh, your, your life set. But what Jesus has to offer us is more than possessions. It's things like peace, joy, love, mercy, all kinds of things like that. that how, how can you buy those things? You can't. There's no value that you could place on those. Or, I mean, the value is so great, you couldn't come up with a price. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What kingdom? The United States of America? Britain? I don't want any of it. His kingdom. Wow! That's yours, brothers and sisters, by inheritance. Gospel of John is the gospel of the Son of God. There are so many promises in the Gospel of John. Um, again, we could spend all day looking at them, but I've selected a few. Of course, the most famous of all is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Think about that. What kind of an inheritance is this? That He would give us His Son, His only Son, that whoever believes, so the, 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 um, the will and testament is not just for me, not just for you, it's for everyone who believes. You can put your name in that passage. Whatever your name is, whoever you are, you can be included in that. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. Salvation from hell. Eternal life with him. What an inheritance. John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has current possession, present possession, everlasting life. That's the first part of it. Has everlasting life. Second part, shall not come into condemnation or judgment. Third, but has passed from death into life. <laughs> Eternal life. In addition to that, in John, we also read about the uh, eternal security. We, again, read about this this morning in the Lord's Supper. My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, here again it is, what, as you're reading the will and testament, here's what we get. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Eternal security. Nothing can separate us from, it, from Him. The promise of a home in heaven. Remember the passage? These are all passages we love. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Some of you will never own a house on earth. Some of you 
won't be able to call a place on earth a home. But you have a home in heaven prepared for you by the one who in six days made all of this creation. And in 2,000 years, he's been preparing a house for you in heaven. Wow. Let not your heart be troubled. In the Gospel of John, we also have promises of answered prayer, the provision of the Holy Spirit, fruitful lives, and so much more. Acts is the historical record of the early church. It's a, a book showing how the Lord began to build His church and continues to do so today. In Acts chapter 1, we read of the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Certainly that was true of the early church. The Holy Spirit was given to them uh, for the first time to dwell in them for uh, um, forever. And the... Um, Promise is also true to us as well as believers. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He gives us the Holy Spirit as an earnest or as a promise of what is to come. Remember I said in a will, sometimes there's a line in the will that says something like this. Um, I forgive all debts and provide written discharges. So in other words, what they're saying is, if somebody owes me anything, just write it off. It's done. It's over. I forgive it all. We had a debt we could not pay. And in Acts chapter 13, 38 through 39, it says this, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we read these passages and we go, oh yeah, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> if you owed somebody, David, you just started working. Suppose you owed somebody $1,000. That's a lot of hours you'd have to put in to make up that $1,000, right? Yeah, a lot of hours. Some of you have been working a little longer, but suppose you owed somebody $100,000. And they're demanding payment. It's hard, hard to come up with pretty quick, huh? Without borrowing more. A million dollars. We, we owed an infinite debt to the Lord. And he says, in writing, I forgive your sins. The whole thing, everything. Forgiveness of sins. By him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What the Old Testament could not do, the New Testament does thoroughly and completely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans, one of the great doctrinal books, it's a letter. It's a letter from God to the church at Rome, written through the Apostle Paul. But it's written to us as well. And in it we find He has given to us so many things that cannot be purchased at any price. Try, try to think about this for a second. Righteousness. Can you imagine reading a will of your relative and in it they say, I give to Don Robertson righteousness. Can't be done. I give to Beth Wilson peace. Can't be done. I give to Dorothy Costanzo justification. Can't be done. 
But these are the things that God has given to us as part of our inheritance. Forgiveness of sins, righteousness, justification, peace with God, godly character, the Holy Spirit, reconciliation with God, freedom from the wrath to come, power to live a holy life, the promise of the resurrection, the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ's intercession for us, our glorification, and on and on it goes. You can't buy these things. Walmart doesn't sell them. And as you continue reading through the last will and testament in Romans, you find these beautiful words that have been such a comfort and a help to believers in Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What is excluded? Nothing. He's giving us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? In other words, who's going to charge Christians of sin in, in his presence? Nobody. Why? Because God has already justified us through Jesus Christ. Who is he who condemns? No one. Why? Because Christ died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. You know, it kind of makes all other wills and testaments look kind of crummy, doesn't it? Pale, <laughs> pale yeah, it's very pale. First Corinthians... I hope you're taking an inventory of what the Lord has given to you, what he's left for you as believers and that now belong to you. So is there anything missing from the list so far? Anything you can think of that's missing? Well, in case there is, let me read to you 1 Corinthians three twenty-one to 23. For all things are yours. Can you imagine reading a will like that? It's very short. I leave to, you know, uh, Matt Clark. All things. Matt just got it all. I guess I don't have to sit here and read anymore. <laughs> Nothing in it for me. But here, it's really interesting. He's given all of us all things, and yet it diminishes nothing of the things that he has. Isn't that incredible? All things are yours, whether Paul, and he's even giving us the preachers and the teachers and the apostles. Uh, Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, he says. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The book of Corinthians is a letter, again, written by God through the apostle Paul to correct some wrong thinking 
and actions in the church. They were followers of men and they were plagued by divisions. Yet even in this book that corrects faulty thinking and and, and many faults, the Lord is quick to remind them that he's not withholding anything from them. All things are yours. Imagine reading that in a last will and testament. Oh yeah, we just did. It was the Lord's testament to us. All things are yours. We also learn in 1 Corinthians um, a mystery. I like mysteries. What is a mystery in the Bible? Well, it's something that was previously hidden but is now revealed to us. And God is revealing something to us that we would not know unless he told us. Listen to this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God isn't just interested in giving us stuff, although he does that. He does give us stuff. We like to think in terms of getting stuff. But he's giving us more than stuff. He's going to give us a... In this passage, he's telling us, he's going to give us a body that is immortal, incorruptible, completely immune from death. Wouldn't that be nice? No. Won't that be nice? It's not a question. Okay? For sure, he's going to give it to us. Won't that be nice? I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind it now. What a will and testament. And this is part of your inheritance. Second letter to Corinthians. In it we find more promises, such as the promise that God, the God of all comfort, will comfort us in all our troubles so that we might become comforters of those who are also Uh, troubled and he he gives us the comfort that we might be able to comfort them with the comfort that we received paul learned a lesson and he tells us about it in second corinthians and that was that he was troubled with an infirmity he had been given a thorn in the flesh he calls it we don't know exactly what it was but whatever it was it, it was troubling to his body and it was an affliction and it and it's uh he, in fact, it so bothered him, he prayed three times that the Lord would remove it. And the Lord said, no. So, well, that's not fair. The Lord gave him something better. Instead of removing that thorn in the flesh, he gave him something better. And he tells us about it here in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said this, And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so then Paul said, therefore, most gladly, I will boast rather 
in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Galatians, another letter to the churches of Galatia. It was written primarily to correct um, a wrong doctrine that had crept into the church that they seemed very willing to accept. And it was a doctrine that said, well, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's good as far as it goes, but you need to also work as part of your salvation. So it was faith in the Lord plus works. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with Christ's finished work on the cross plus nothing. And uh, he says in uh, Galatians um, that we are not slaves to the law, but that we have been adopted as sons. Well, listen, let's read it. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the, fullness of time hit the t- when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might... I'm going to stop there for a second. What's in it for me? That's the question we're asking. What's in it for me? That Jesus did this, so what's in it for me? That we might receive the adoption as sons. Who's adopting us? God is adopting us. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to look over my creation and I'm going to adopt Russ. And I'm going to give him full legal standing as a son in my family. God is saying this. And he says that to every believer. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. No longer slaves. This is true emancipation, by the way. You want to talk about emancipation, this is it. Okay? No longer a slave, but a son with the full rights and privileges of an adult son not in a human family, but in God's family. God as our Father. Ephesians, the letter of God through Paul, should be enough to blow you away if you just read the first chapter and sit down and go home. That's it, you know. Just read that first chapter. It's enough to, to, to satisfy every question. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter. I'll leave that for you to do this afternoon. But one verse, blessed, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's nothing left that he hasn't given. Philippians. The letter to the Philippians is spilling over with many promises. Just one I'll I'll bring out. Philippians chapter 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Again, I want to emphasize something in this verse. We've said it before. He doesn't say it this way. My God shall supply all your need out of his riches. He doesn't say that. If it was out of his riches, it would mean that there was a diminishing of his riches. It says according to his riches, meaning that in proportion to the riches of God, that's how he gives. And it doesn't diminish it in any way. Okay? There's still the same amount left over. 
Colossians verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a promise uh, uh, for believers here. There's a day coming when Christ will return for his saints. And guess what? You'll be there. <laughs> That's part of it. First and Second Thessalonians, I'll put together. I'll just read First uh, Thessalonians 4:13 uh, through 17. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that this morning? Amen. I didn't hear too much of an amen. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Amen. amen. Okay. Then this is a promise for you. See, this is what I'm saying. Your name is here. I just read it. Those who believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's your name. If you just said amen, that's you. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise First, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the promise. First and second Timothy, I'll just take one verse out of second Timothy four, verse eight. Paul says, finally, there is laid up for me. Now it's Paul speaking here, of course, for me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Well, that's nice reading through the will and testament and seeing Paul's name there and something the Lord is going to give him. But again, what's in it for me? Oh, he continues on. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What is the promise to you? If you love his appearing, you're watching and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. You're living in such a way that he says, crown of righteousness. That's another thing uh, as part of your inheritance. Well, we're running out of time. So I'm going to skip through um, the rest of these and go right to the book of Revelation just because we don't have the time to go through them all. But here we have in Revelation chapter 21... Verse, starting with verse 3, so verse 3 to 7. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Wow. Now, brothers and sisters, if you think we've exhausted it, we haven't. I have only scratched the surface. It is estimated um, that there are some 8,000 promises 
in the Scripture for believers. 8,000. I haven't counted them, so I don't know that. I just heard that. I read that somewhere, actually. Okay? There are volumes of books written on the promises of God. And I want to encourage you this morning... This is one way of studying the New Testament scriptures. We could have done a geographical study, and I would have probably put most of you to sleep, or a historical study, and that would have probably put some to sleep as well. But this is the last will and testament written to us for our benefit from God of all the things that he has given to us that we might live godly lives, pleasing to him. Everything has been provided. Everything has been given. Nothing has been withheld. It's all ours. The inheritance is all ours. And so I hope that today and this week and throughout the years to come, you might look in the New Testament from that standpoint as you would uh, uh, any other will. What's in it for me? Believers, there's so much in it for you. Don't miss it. Let's give them thanks. Lord, as we continue to worship you and praise you, we thank you so much for all of the things that you have promised to us. Lord, at times we live our lives as though we, are, as though we think we are spiritual paupers. But Lord, you have provided such an abundance for us in every area of life. Lord, we want to worship you and thank you. To think that you did this for a sinner. Wow, Lord. Sinners saved by grace, thank you especially for giving us your Son. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.